Good morning. I believe that the Lord has something special for us this morning because uh, this message just didn't want to be birthed. <laughs> so I've been laboring. I'm just running down here. Uh, Garrett's going to try and get the slides in. So I have to believe that the Lord wants to speak to us. And what I landed on about a half hour ago is that God is faithful. Pass it on. Amen. God is faithful. So we're in Genesis 48. Would you stand as we read the word together, and then I'll pray, and we'll ask the Lord to give us a blessing this morning from his word. So in Genesis 48, in verse 1, it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you, and Israel strengthened himself and set up on the bed. Verse 8. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, verse 11, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. So, Lord, we bow down before you. Good and gracious God, this morning you are faithful. Even in Jacob's life, proved yourself over and over again the same things that you want to continue to speak to our hearts. You are faithful. And so, Lord, great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So please, Lord, bless the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we've been about a year's worth of weeks in Genesis. It's been about 50-plus studies. And so we're going to be wrapping these, this section of Genesis, which we call Destiny, looking at the faith of Joseph, in three studies. So this morning we want to talk about God is faithful, pass it on. Then we're going to, next week we'll talk the question, what about the future? How many of you want to know what's going, up, going to happen in the future? <laughs> Tough luck. <laughs> and then Genesis 50, we'll do a New Year's kind of musings on hindsight is 2020. Now, do you want 2020 to be your hindsight? Neither do I. Okay. So there are two accompanying verses that are really important in these last three studies, particularly this one and the final one. It's found in Hebrews. It's the commentary, which I find very interesting. In Hebrews 11.21, says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. That's chapter 48. Chapter 50. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So we'll, go, we'll, we'll come back to these in each of these studies. But for this morning, simple outline. God is faithful. Pass it on. This is how I'm outlining the chapter. Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons in verses 1 through 7. Jacob blesses Joseph's two sons in verses 8 through 16. And then finally, jo Jacob confirms the adoption and the blessing. So it's the blessing of faith in the faithfulness of God that we're going to see this morning. And I say pass it on, even as he's invoking this blessing. So we, God is faithful, let's pass it on. So he adopts Joseph's two sons. So first of all, Joseph is told his father is dying. He's sick, and obviously there's, as we'll see. So in verse 1, came to pass after these things, Joseph was told, your father is sick. He took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He takes his two sons, bringing them to his father for the blessing. Now a blessing in the Bible is a favor or gift bestowed by God, therefore, therefore bringing happiness. Let me repeat that. It's a favor or gift bestowed by God, thereby bringing uh, happiness. We might look at it as the invoking of God's favor upon a person. It might be in the way of blessing, protection, approval, fruitfulness, but it's the invoking of God's favor. And I love when someone sort of does that over my life. Lord, that you would bless Kevin. That you would bless his marriage. That you bless his family. That you'd protect and all those things. It's a great thing that we need to be doing, I think, for one another more frequently. 
just invoking God's favor over someone's life. Now, so in verse 2, Jacob is told that his, that his son is coming. And with all his strength he can muster, he sits up on his bed. A gutsy old man is what Jacob is. He's been through a lot. I, I picture him just all wrinkled up, but with a gutso. <laughs> and it appears then from Hebrews that he stands. Not only sits up, but then stands, leaning on the top of his staff. So now Jacob testifies of God Almighty. And this is wonderful. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me, verse 3, at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a multitude of people. And give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So God Almighty is El Shaddai. It means the God of heaven. But it refers to his majestic strength. So God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. It speaks of God who protects. It speaks of God's ability to supply abundantly. All these things are wrapped up in this God Almighty, El Shaddai. The Almighty One, the One who protects, the Abundant One, that God is the source of all blessing. So he appears to Jacob at Luz. I would like to revisit this. You don't have these in yet, right? Okay. You got to get your Bibles out. Really? Yes. (laughs) I want you to go to Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 12, because this is so amazing when we look at the life of Jacob, and he is now looking back on God's faithfulness. So in Genesis 28, verse 12, excuse me, verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now he's running now from Esau. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, And its top reached to heaven. Now, El Shaddai means the God of heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. He's hearing from God the passing on of of the covenant, the promise. Also, your descendant shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's the Abrahamic covenant being passed on. And you can imagine as Jacob is fleeing, wondering what's going to happen. God visits him there. He's got a rock for a pillow. Good way to have a dream. And it's a very encounter he has that changed his life. Absolutely changed his life. So in verse 15. Behold, he says to Jacob, God, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, God Almighty, El Shaddai, the protector, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. God is faithful. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. So he he was conscious of God was gone. He was just fleeing from Esau and wanting to get a little Shaddai. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? It was life-changing. This is none other than the house of God, Bethel, and this is the gate of heaven, El Shaddai, God of heaven. Verse 18, uh, Genesis 28. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Now he just is telling Joseph, in the land, he appeared to me at Luz. This is it. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow. This is fascinating to me. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. So he's sort of reiterating back in prayer what God said to him. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Basically, Jacob makes a deal with God. Did ever make a deal with God? He says, if you do these things, he's questioning in some sense. God's promised these things, and he's probably thinking there's no way. But God says, oh, yes, I'm the way. 
And so he promises these things, and Jacob basically reiterates that back to God as a vow. If God will do it. So he makes this deal with God, and here's the fascinating thing to me. God took him up on it. Well, you know what? Either you believe me or we're done. No, God took him up on it. Working on his faith to show Jacob he is the faithful God. It's the same thing with us. God has promised us so many things. The process of learning that he is faithful to his word, faithful to his promises, takes a lifetime. But God is all in. So so Jacob is testifying to the faithfulness of God Almighty in his latter years before he's ready going to die. He's testifying as an undeserving recipient of the blessing of God Almighty, the undeserved recipient of God's faithfulness to him throughout his tumultuous life, throughout it. And it's the same thing for you and I. God is faithful. You know, when we had our, I probably shared this before, but when we got married, Charlotte came down the aisle to great is thy faithfulness. And he is faithful to us. There are so many times we can begin wondering. And for Charlotte, it was, well, am I ever going to be married? Then Prince Charming came along. (laughs) Great is thy faithfulness. (laughs) She was, you know, if she had known she wasn't going to get married until she was 35, almost 36, she would have turned over in her grave. Well, you would have been dead? No? Okay. Have you found that? God is faithful. Through and through. He is faithful to do what he's promised to do. And not only that, he is faithful to bless our lives like we would have never imagined. He's the God of blessing. And he wants that invoked, if you will, into the lives of those who are in our lives. That God is faithful. The testimony of my relationship with God is that God is faithful. And say, pass it on. Pass it on. Invoke it on. God is the same faithful, almighty God from whom all blessings flow. And friend, the same almighty and abundant one will be faithful and true to you, an undeserved recipient of his blessings mercy, and grace. He'll take you up on it. He will prove himself faithful. In Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. That's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. That's based on the boldness we have to go in because we have a high priest. That's what it's based on. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope because he... Without waver, he who promised is faithful. Look to the cross. God is faithful. Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God's faithful in all your temptations. Now, sometimes we're not very faithful. God gives us the way of escape. We don't take it. But that does not change the fact that God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. How are you going to get there? How's it going to happen? God is faithful. 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He can do it based on the blood of Christ to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you not thankful this morning for the faithfulness of God? I'll tell you, I am so thankful that God is faithful even when I'm faithless. Jacob takes Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons now. Verse 5, and now your two sons... Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, his first two sons through Leah, they shall be mine, Manasseh and Ephraim. Your offspring whom he begot, after them shall be yours. So the rest of your, but I'm taking your two sons, my grandsons, as I'm adopting them as my sons. And so, Jacob then tenderly recalls Rachel. 
But as for me, when I first came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrah, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrah, that is Bethlehem. Rachel died right after giving birth to Benjamin. Jacob's eyes were dim with age, but let me tell you, they weren't dry with age. I think as he's telling these things, it's a tearful memory of something that was very painful for him. And we all have those things too. And God many times surfaces some of those painful things just to remind us he is faithful. He's faithful. So now Jacob blesses Joseph's two sons in verses 8 through 16. Jacob kisses and embraces Ephraim and Nasa. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Now he can't see. Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has shown me, who has given me in this place. So Joseph is thankful. He looks at these sons as a gift from God. Why would that be? It's very simple. In Genesis 41, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So he first names Manasseh. Your name is going to be forget. Now, I don't know if you'd like that name, but it was a marker because the joy that came and God made him forget all the toil of all my father's house, all the problems that came along. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful, notice, in the land of my affliction. God is faithful, and he's faithful to Joseph, and he gives him two sons, and he names them in a, such a way that he remembers God's faithfulness. And let me tell you, Jacob is one happy grandpa. Verse 10, now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them, and Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face. So it's just a, you can imagine, a joyous togetherness. Jacob would see his grandchildren to the third generation. Remember what he said, all things are against me. No, 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 God is faithful. Brings him to Egypt, 17 years. And he sees his grandchildren to, through, through uh, Ephraim to the great-great-grandchildren and through Manasseh, his great-grandchildren. Now, I'm loving being a grandpa. I don't know what it's like to be a great-grandpa yet, but I guess I would rather God be faithful and come back and be done with all of this. <laughs> so in verse 13, he blesses his grandsons. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. So he's putting the firstborn at his right hand to bless, because that's how it is, and the right hand is the blessing on the firstborn and secondborn. He's blessing, by the way, both of them. So Joseph brings them. He's got it all figured out. He's, he knows how to direct this thing, even though his dad can't see. He's going to direct it. And so then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and left it, and left it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph's going, Dad, you can't see. What are you doing? So he begins directing things, but listen, Jacob, by faith, was given a, new, a different direction by God. And it's interesting in the Bible often God is dealing with the second born, not first. God flips things often. And in the gospel, in God's faithfulness the gospel, it's being born again. It's the second birth that God is going to bless, put as prominent. And so, we read in Hebrews again, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. That's what's going on. He gets out and he's blessing them with his hands, in, I think, crisscrossed, but he's got a staff. He's leaning on the staff. The same staff that he started out with many years ago. It's the same staff that he kept through all the years of his life. That's what shepherds did. And it was the same staff that he used to shepherd his flocks. 
So it's interesting to me as we get to verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me, that means shepherded. Shepherded. He shepherded me all my life long to this day. God is faithful. God is the great shepherd, the faithful shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he invokes the blessing of God that was to Abraham his grandfather and Isaac his father. The blessing of God to him as a father and now a grandfather. And he wants to bestow it on his grandsons. Let me ask you a question. Do you not feel the exact same desire as a father, mother, grandpa, grandma? To just see the blessing of God on our children. As John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I say, pray it through, pray it through, pray it through. It's how wonderful when the blessing of God, blessings of God are passed on for many generations. It's a blessing. But I think it's also a great blessing when the blessings of God are passed on to just one generation. Because see, really, that's where it has to take place. You may be a first-generation Christian. You may be the first of a second-generation Christian. In other words, you got saved as a grandpa. I would say dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, be faithful to pass it on. Now, I want to come back to this in a moment. At the end, I want to just give you five thoughts that came to me from a couple of scriptures. But let's continue on in verse 17. What happened is Jacob refuses to change the blessing. So when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So, Dad, you got it wrong, man. You can't see, I can. So, so he took hold of his father's hands to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Now, it's interesting because Jacob was the one who stole the blessing. <laughs> But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know, I know, I know. By faith, he blessed the sons of Joseph. He also shall be a, become a people, and he shall also be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. <laughs> when, jo when Jacob stole the birthright from Esau, God did not change the blessing. What did God do? He changed the man. And that's what God does. He changed Jacob. So, verse 20, so he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said, Ephraim before Manasseh, then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the Land of your fathers. I'm dying, but God isn't. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we might bring that to mind. You know, I might feel like, listen, God hasn't, God's not dead. They used to say that a long time. God is dead. No, God's not dead. But anyone who would be saying that, they are going to die. They are dead, possibly. The one who said that is. God is not dead. God will be with you. God will be faithful. God is going to do these things that I'm, in a sense, prophesying. Now, jo Joseph did go back to Egypt, but it was in a coffin. God is faithful. <laughs> you might die. God is faithful. Everyone's going to pass through some kind of a coffin. But as far as God's promises for us, they are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And so, verse 22, he reconfirms the blessing he gave. Moreover, I've given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and on my knee. So I'm giving you a double portion, Joseph. It went to him through Ephraim and Manasseh, who being now his full sons. God is faithful, pass it on. So let me share some thoughts with you 
This commentary on Jacob's life, I again find fascinating. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Out of the whole of Jacob's life, the Holy Spirit points to this chapter, Genesis 48, as giving Jacob a place of honor in the Bible's hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. So at first glance, I'm going there, I'm scratching my head. Same with Joseph, with all that Joseph went through and all he accomplished and the things that God did in his life and the testimony of his faith in a faithful God. Hebrews points out he just, when he was dying, he gave instructions. Jacob is not building an ark like Noah. He's not leaving his family and offering up his son on an altar like Abraham. He's no Moses standing against the wrath of the most powerful king in the world of Egypt and then leading two million people through a Red Sea on dry ground. Jacob is no Joshua who witnessed the coming down of a fortified city called Jericho by just marching around it. Jacob's not subduing kingdoms, stopping the mouths of lions, escaping the edge of the sword, turning great armies to flight, raising someone from the dead. He's not enduring mocking and scourging and chains or imprisonment, being stoned or sawn into, none of these things. The Holy Spirit says nothing about Jacob wrestling with the angel, nothing about God changing his name as he wrestled with him. Says nothing about Jacob blessing the most powerful ruler in the world, Pharaoh, the Holy Spirit is saying, take note of Jacob's faith. (laughs) Blows my mind. When he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. That's the marker. And so, as he leans gutsy old Jacob, his life just about over, Physically, Jacob is weak, shaky, and vulnerable. He's leaning and dying. But let me tell you something. Spiritually, Jacob is strong, steady, and invincible. He worshiped. God is faithful. There's a common denominator in both Jacob and Joseph when he was dying. God is faithful. Pass it on. Jacob knows the faithfulness of God and invokes the same on his family. He's ready for his departure. Like Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. And let me tell you, Paul went through the ringer. But at the end of the whole thing, he says, God is faithful. He's faithful. He's ready for the end of his earthly penguin. I'll tell you, 2020 hindsight, I'm ready for the end. How about you? God is faithful. He's confident. Not only has God been faithful to him, not only will God be faithful to him, but God also will be faithful to everyone that he leaves behind for a season. There's one thing that we can pass on to our children and grandchildren and great-children to say to them, God is faithful. Through it all. Now, Joseph strikes as a man who for most of his life wrestled to trust God. As though it was all on him to counsel God and help God. It's as though God, it was on on him to make sure that things were going to work out. Guilty as charged. Jacob was a man who labored, was heavy laden, and had little rest. 
He struggled with his brother in the womb. (laughs) Right from before even being birthed, he's wrestling. He connived and plotted and lied to get the birthright. He was running from Esau. He's running from Laban. He's running from his past. He's continuously, in a sense, in an upheaval as you read about his life. He strove and struggled with his uncle Laban continuously. And they were no match. I mean, they were a good match for each other. But the turning point in Jacob's faith In Genesis 32, he wrestled with God to the point of being crippled by God. And that's where God finally broke him. Friends, there's no better place than brokenness to understand the faithfulness of God. He didn't kill him. He didn't say, I'm done. He said, I'm not yet done. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to do what I promised. Well, you prayed. What do you ask? I'm going to do it. But let me tell you, what's needed is a breaking. Where God breaks of all the fears that just overwhelm him. All the striving, all the conniving, all the lying, all the trying to get it my way and do it my way and counsel God. God has to break us in such a way that he can change our names from the striving conniver to someone who is now governed by God. And let me tell you, the governing of God is reestablished when we say God is faithful. I'll leave it up to him. I'll trust him. I'll let him take care of things for, my, for me. Major turning point when he is crippled in the flesh and now whole in the spirit. He came across the Jabbok, a different man. And we all have encounters with God. And some of those encounters are the life-changing intervention of God to break us of some of these things that are in the way of God wanting to show me and you his faithfulness. Hebrews 11, there are three things. There's now faith is the substance hope for the evidence of things not seen. I like to call it, it's now faith. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but now. And is faith in God is the foundation of certainty. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the certainty of reality. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith in God is the conviction of reality. We know that the worlds were framed by things that are not seen in Hebrews 11. Abraham went out not knowing where he's going, but there was a a conviction of reality, the reality of God, and God is faithful. It's the evidence in our hearts and minds of God's faithfulness. So there's now faith, but then in Hebrews 11, 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must first believe that he is. Faith makes God a reality. So you got now faith and you got without faith. If there is not faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't be in relationship. Faith is what makes God a reality. Someone said that faith is what opens the eye to see the invisible God. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is faithful. Our laboring is not in vain in the Lord. But then it says, by faith, many times in Hebrews 11. Now faith, without faith, by faith. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. God is faithful. Pass it on. The blessing of faith and the faithfulness of God. I love it. Some of the thoughts that came to mind. Faith is the panting of a thirsty soul for God. Faith is the mouth wide open for God to fill it. Faith is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Faith is the fear of the Lord that is the fountain of life. Opens our eyes to see God. Faith is the depth of the heart rooted and grounded in love. 
faith, you know, sort of like digesting the word of God. Faith is the, I mean, where is it? There it is. Faith is the living hope that rejoices when grieved by various trials. Peter. Faith, another one, Hebrews chapter 12. Faith is the happiness that does not despise the chastening of the Lord because God is faithful. And let me close just with this one. Faith is the end of the fear of man. It's the end of the fear of the devil. And it's the end of the fear of death. Faith. God is faithful. Pass it on. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The blessings of faith and the faithfulness of God. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to make himself, show himself strong on behalf of those who are turning to him. So we just need to keep turning, not just once, but we just need to keep turning back our hearts and minds to the faithfulness of God. God wants to work in our lives. God wants to show his faithfulness to us. He's looking to do that. So Jacob has finally come to trust Almighty God with his life and then entrust the lives of his precious sons and grandsons into the hands of God. He's a man with a limp who blessed and worshipped God. I like what Spurgeon said, quote, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages, unquote. <laughs> uh, I have, uh, how, okay. I want to give you five things now, just how do we pass it on? And these are, I'm sure there are a zillion more of them, but these are the five that came to mind from a couple passages of Scripture. And the first one is this. Demand diligence of yourself. Demand it. Where do I get that from? Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know it well. And I would say dads, moms, grandmas, grandpas, take heed and be faithful to pass it on. It says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God. This is the Shema. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. First and foremost, love God. You can't pass on what you don't have. You can't pass on what you haven't received. You have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I need to love the Lord with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Everything to God. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's where I got it. Listen, demand diligence for, of yourself. Be faithful with a persistent work effort in the things that matter. And what, this is the center of Israel's whole, whole society is the Shema. And he says, you shall be diligent. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, non-conflict times, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gate. In other words, God needs to be everywhere. Teach your children God's commandments diligently. Take every opportunity to talk about God's commandments. When they look at you, they see God's commandments. When they hear you speak, they hear God's commandments. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses. When they come into your house and go out of your house, they are aware of the presence and commandments of God. And let me tell you, we raised six children, and I know the battle that that is. And I know how it goes from season to season and down times and up times and sometimes a lot of that, sometimes there's none of it. I get that. I understand it very well. But I'll tell you now, as a grandpa and looking into my, my sons and there are five grandchildren, my heart just beats for wanting them to be loaded with God's word and to see it and hear it and know it because there's so much stuff now that's distracting us and ruining the foundational truths upon which a life will experience the blessing and faithfulness of God. It's his word. And I know you know that. And then he says in verse 12, then beware lest you forget the Lord. So number one, love God. Number two, teach your children. Number three, beware 
lest you forget God. When you come into the land and you're going to have houses you didn't build and fields you didn't cultivate, they're all going to, God's going to give you. He's going to bless you like you can't believe it. But then be careful because once all that's happening, all of a sudden, well, I don't need God. And we are up against this so consistently in our society. We are blessed by God and have been. I fear that we've lost that, but time will tell. In fact, I know we have to some degree. But look what's going on. Where's God in the matters? You hardly even know. You hardly can even see it. But let me say this to you. I exhort you as I do myself. May God be being seen in our homes. I fear that even in some churches, this is not true. Demand diligence of yourself. Be faithful with a persistent work effort. Start today and then start again tomorrow and then start again the next day and keep the new mornings the start time. Be diligent in these things. The blessings of faith and the faithfulness of God. Here, I want to give you three more and then one more. And this is from 2 Timothy, where he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's the foundation he's saying to Timothy. And the things you heard from me, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. But Timothy, you've heard from me, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and then them faithful men. He's saying, pass it on. Pass it on. What does he say? You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engage in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, understand, I'll get to these, so just keep the scriptures up there. Understand, number one, duty. Someone said, duty leads to discipline, which leads to delight. There's a duty we have, and if we don't take it seriously and consistently and faithfully, we'll never see and experience the pleasure of God, pleasing in our lives. Secondly, also when he competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It requires discipline. And the discipline brings the crown, winning the race. Paul said, I'm not running as one beating the air, but I buffet my body. Discipline, discipline of the athlete. And then he says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. And he says, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in these things. So here it is. Demand diligence of yourself. Secondly, understand duty. As a good soldier, what we are enlisted is to please our commander. Secondly, understand discipline. An athlete understands that if they're ever going to compete and win a crown. Third, understand daily diligence. A hardworking farmer understands it's a daily diligence to get out there every day, day in, day out, and tend to the crop. I want to add one more in closing. Now, this might sound a little strange to you, but I want to expand on it a little bit from some of the things that I've been considering over the last three weeks or so. And here it is. Doubt honestly for yourself. Faith is hard. Doubt is a common denominator in the minds and hearts of every Christian. It's just a reality. There's a new book that I haven't read yet, but I have. It's been highly recommended by several people. It's called Doubtless. 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 Subtitled, Because Faith is Hard, by a guy named Shelby Abbott, brand new. And that's what got me thinking. There's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Jesus never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness, unquote. Doubt is biblical and common. Let me clarify that. Honest doubt is what I'm talking about. Obviously, God is not intimidated by my questions or your questions. Rather, God is inviting our questions. And what better source? He knows 
everything. And the things that he keeps are not ours, they're his, but the things he reveals are ours. And God wants to do that. God wants us to engage him with our questions. He understands honest doubts. Like the father said, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you cry that out ever? In fact, I would say that honest doubt, rather than prove a man has a dying faith, proves that a man has a faith that's alive and growing. I think there's, a, there's something that can be, can stunt our growth. And that's when we won't move outside of circles of theology or think other things or methodologies and, try and see what's going on. And it's sort of like, no, 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 it's this. And I believe also, in fact, I know it, it's hard to climb out of the box. Ask anyone who's been in a cult. And we can be the same in some of the ways that we approach things. Some of the ways that we respond to things. Martin Luther said this, faith is a wrestle with doubt, unquote. Doubt is the incentive to truth and inquiry, inquiry leads the way. Doubts are the ants in the pants. <laughs> I love this one. My mom always said, what do you got, ants in your pants? Because I was always moving. And she'd always say that. And this is, I just read this quote. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Just <laughs> I love what C.S. Lewis said. We're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be, unquote. <laughs> I got a couple more quotes if you'll bear with me here. I just want to just give you some thoughts here to take away and understand. We must engage God with doubts. We must engage one another in our fellowship around the word of God that will help us to understand our doubts. This is by Tim Keller. A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. There's another book that I quoted from a couple studies ago by... by Elisa Childers, it's called Another Gospel, and she talks about progressive Christianity. She talked about her faith being rocked. And what it did is it, it spurred her to know not only what she be, but why she believed it. And I think each one of us has to have that same diligence. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Let's start there, and let's keep starting right there. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Our small groups are forged around the fellowship around the Word of God, the Word of God. We have some that are, are, are specialized toward training, but for the most part, we want our small groups to be gathering around the Word of God, fellowshipping around the Word of God, praying around the Word of God. And let me ask any of you who've been in those kinds of small group Bible studies, is that the most fantastic use of an hour of your week? So Charles Spurgeon said, quote, some of us, now this is true, and anybody who's been in ministry, particularly preaching the word, you know how true this is. I've gone through some of this this year where I've had to wrestle with things in my heart. Some of us have preached the word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and of establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible have nevertheless been subject to subject to the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we have preached, unquote. David had tremendously dark times of doubt, and so do we. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to teach the Bible and all my doubts go away. No, 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 no. God is faithful to be working in my life and in your life a deeper trust in him in spite of my doubts. A trusting him through humbling myself before God and saying, I don't even know if I'm saved. To read a scripture, it's a difficult one. Where Jesus said, for example, they say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, do that, do this, do that? And Jesus said to him, I tell you, 
I never knew you. Whoa. That should set us back. That should get us thinking, okay, what's he saying? How's it going? And it, it's the Holy Spirit examining our lives. Are we saved by grace through faith? Absolutely. Does that get shaken sometimes? Yes, it does. And finally, Dave Hunt said, we are raising a generation on the spiritual junk food of religious videos, movies, youth entertainment, and comic book paraphrase of the Bible. The word of God is being rewritten, watered down, illustrated, and dramatized in order to cater to the taste of the carnal mind. The only lead, this only, that only leads further into the wilderness of doubt and confusion, unquote. And I would say amen, and I'd say would you stand with me, let's pray. So, Lord, we stand before you as sinners saved by grace through faith. And, Lord, we, the testing of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes. And, Lord, we know that you work in us to will and do what pleases you. And, oh, God, how we want to be, as Jacob, shaped and moved. And, Lord, whatever is needed to bring us to that place where we may be weak and shaky and vulnerable physically. But inwardly, we've been renewed. Inwardly, there's strength and there's steadiness and there's invincibility as far as we know and whom we believe and we're confident you're able to keep us till that day. I am persuading life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That you bring us further into that, the depths of your love for us. And Lord, that our lives would be a blessing, that we'd be passing on our most holy faith, please. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness.